Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial podcast and commentary. My name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial, a perspective to help you win, not just endure. Available in both paperback and Kindle on the Amazon book platform. Written by Charles P. Malone. Welcome to The Sweetness of Trial, Book Reading and Commentary, Episode 9, Part 1, pages 119 through 127. Hi, my name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial. Today's episode is titled, This Too Shall Pass, Part 1. Talking about trial is not usually something people enjoy. And being the one who goes through the trial is definitely not enjoyable because it hurts. (laughs) But let's see if we can bring some understanding and perspective to the season uh, of trial. In this episode of The Sweetness of Trial, as we begin our reading on page 119. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. As we pass through the trials of life, let us keep an eternal perspective. Let us not complain. Let us become even more prayerful. Let us serve others. Let us forgive one another. As we do this, all things will work together for our good. We that love God. This was... uh, by Dieter F. Uchtdorf, Continue in Patience, the Enzyme, May of 2010. As I walked hurriedly alongside the gurney carrying my nephew, my knees threatening to give way to shock and disbelief, I chanced a glance at the burned figure, which had no resemblance to the handsome, dark-haired, Elvis-impersonating character I knew and loved so well. How could this happen, I thought. This man had it all. Looks, intelligence, ambition, values, and integrity. Why him? Well, if you've read this far, you know the answer yourself to the question, why him? If you have forgotten, read again the words and thoughts expressed in the previous chapter entitled, Why Bad Things Happened to Good People. But let's use this chapter to put the previous chapters into perspective and provide some solutions and hope as we near the end of this book. I love life. I really do. Because without it, you're dead. (laughs) Sorry. So the good news is, if you're still reading along, you're alive. And there is still time. Isn't that a wonderful thought to build on? We are alive. And we have time. For my nephew, time would seemingly stand still. Once it was determined he would survive the accident, he faced the lengthy process of reconstruction, painful surgery after painful surgery. The terrible trauma relived in each frightening nightmare fueled with pain-killing drugs would be enough to do most people in. But this man was no ordinary man. He chose his response to this tragedy Let me repeat that. 
He chose his response to this tragedy, and it was to fight. Nobody is trial-free, but we have a choice. We can choose to allow our experiences to hold us back or to not allow us to become great or achieve greatness in this life. Or we can allow our experiences to push us forward, to make us grateful for every day we have and to be all the more thankful for those who are around us. This was a quote by Elizabeth Smart. I chose to entitle this chapter with the phrase, This too shall pass, as a way of connecting us, you and I, to the purposes of earth life and beyond. As you eventually close the cover of this book and open your eyes and heart to the possibilities which lie ahead, let the power of these four words remind you that life is not motionless, but rather always on the move. That trial has its season, as does sunshine and peace. There seems to be some consensus among historians of poetry and the written word that this popular phrase had its origin in Persian poetry and Jewish uh, folklore. The Persians tell of an Indian uh, Mahara, Mahara, who sentenced three wise men in his court to death, not wanting to be judged by his people as heartless. The great king provided a way for them to escape death. If by tomorrow morning, you can give me something that will make me happy and sad, both at the same time, I will spare your lives. The condemned man thought for a while and then called for the royal jeweler. <laughs> the next morning, the three wise men were summoned by the Mahara, Mahara, I'm so sorry, I can't pronounce that, Maharaja, I guess, to support their efforts. I'll do better on the next one, I promise. Uh, the king, expecting only a brief delay of their execution, instead they presented him with a ring. Do you think a mere ring will save your lives, he said? Read the inscription, your greatness, said one of the wise men. He did. He looked. And there engraved on the inside of the ring were the words, This too shall pass. He was sad because he realized that despite all his wealth and power, he would one day pass away, and all would be lost. But he was also happy, because he realized that when bad things happened, they too would pass. That was featured in a Wikipedia article. They didn't give a pronunciation of the Highness's name <laughs> or title. I love this proverb, though, etched in the sands of time, for it is an eternal principle wrapped in simplicity, yet complex in its content. To the one enjoying a season of prosperity, it brings sadness to think the season will end soon. To the one enduring trial, it brings hope and sunshine to a troubled soul. Abraham Lincoln even used this phrase in a speech given in 1859 before the Wisconsin State Agricultural Society in Milwaukee. 
and I quote, It is said an Eastern monarch once charged his wise men to invent him a sentence to be ever in view and which should be true and appropriate in all times and situations. They presented him the words, and this too shall pass away. How much it expresses, how chastening in the hour of pride, how consoling in the depths of affliction. Those are the collected works of Abraham Lincoln, edited by Roy P. Bassler. Well, whether or not this phrase stemmed from the artistic minds of Persian, uh, uh, Persians, poets, or Jewish folklore passed from one generation to the next, naming the Eastern monarch as one King Solomon, or even as used by Honest Abe to drive home a point, the phrase has eternal roots reaching far beyond this earth life to a time of great excitement when God's mortal plan of happiness was announced and the subject matter of trial took center stage. So see the chapter on basic truths. Trial would become their schoolmistress, and even she would need a break now and again. <laughs> there are many among us, however, who must look beyond the veil of temporary trial into life-changing adjustment for these heroes in the ring of life trial means never being the same their hopes and dreams may well lie in the distant future maybe even a lifetime away now before we hang our heads in sympathy let's explore what some have chosen to do with their earthly trial a beautiful young paraplegic her spinal cord having been severed in a terrible automobile accident, has spent most of eight years in hospitals undergoing numerous operations and now suffers daily from spasms and excruciating pain. She is an A student, but is regularly left out when her peers join in physical and social activities. Marriage and normal family life appear to be passing her by. Although she does not completely understand, she has accepted it and has successfully adjusted to the many limitations and difficulties that have been forced upon her. One day in a class discussion at BYU Hawaii, a professor asked how she would change things if she could. Much to, to the surprise of her teacher and her peers, she thought a few moments and then volunteered I would really like to be healed so I could live a normal life. However, if in order to be healed, I would have to give up all the things that I have learned and experienced as a person with a handicap, I don't, do not think I would ask to be healed. Wow. After becoming a paraplegic, she had to leave the comforts of a strong LDS home and undergo rehabilitation in an environment where standards, values, and morals were very different from her own. She had to rely on the relationship she had developed with Heavenly Father during her short lifetime. She had to learn to be both self-reliant and dependent. Although there were some things she had to do on her own, there were also times when she needed to depend on others. Wheelchairs do not roll upstairs, and shoveling snow is extremely difficult to do in a wheelchair. She learned that there is good in everyone, 
and that judging from outer appearances is cruel and unfair. She came to appreciate her body, not taking it for granted. She soon realized how blessed she was as she lived and associated with those much more severely handicapped than she. She experienced love from children, teenagers, adults, and the aged, from doctors, nurses, therapists, priesthood leaders, and friends everywhere. She met people who were willing to sacrifice for her. She has faced reality and knows that in this life, everything does not have a fairy tale, happy ever after ending. In reality, there would be no trials and hence little growth. If justice were always administered immediately, she looked forward to the resurrection with high expectation. To her, it is not just a nice theological concept or wonderful story, it is her future. Now that was all quoted by LeVar Thornock um, in the Enzyme. Do the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer? This was in October of 1990. I seem to hear a constant theme resonate throughout this book as so well verbalized in the story of the young female paraplegic. Although she does not completely understand, she has accepted it and has successfully adjusted to the many limitations and difficulties that have been forced upon her. Now, if there was a one-sentence expression that embodies my hope in writing this book, this would be it. I have endeavored to help you, the reader, build faith sufficient to walk an unlighted path, to seek direction to know, but accepting trial's place in your life as a defining experience for your ultimate good, and adjust accordingly. I would only add one thing to this phrase to reflect my total satisfaction, and that would be this. And I quote, Although she does not completely understand, she has accepted it and has successfully adjusted to the many limitations and difficulties that have been forced upon her and continually strives to become all that she can be. Trial isn't just about defining us and proving us. It isn't just about enduring, although important. It's also about winning, not only adjusting, but successfully adjusting by taking that bag of lemons and turning it into a most satisfying drink of lemonade. It doesn't have to be a blue ribbon finish to win in the arena of life. But the status quo tends to breed complacency while striving toward making a difference creates a photo finish or a leaning forward moment in the personal best category written in your book of life. The young female paraplegic referenced above did not go on to win medals at the World Special Olympics as one might have associated with winning. She did something of greater significance. She walked a darkened path with faith to continue, accepting her trial 
as her legacy on earth and leaning forward into the lives of others as being as a means of becoming all she could be. And in so doing, she radiated strength and faith, which all could see, touching lives as she went, allowing others to sacrifice on her behalf. Hearts were softened, prayers were uttered, relationships healed, and love expanded, all because one person chose to become all she could be, despite the nature of the trial. For her, this too shall pass, held eternal significance and timing rather than a cycle of life. For her, the promise of this restoration of all things in the resurrection becomes more than a principle taught in Sunday school. It is her future. For my nephew, the losses were incomprehensible and continued to mount as time etched through the hourglass, one grain at a time. Realization of the loss of a loved one came quickly. Emotions held in check. Time to mourn later. The pain, oh, the pain of cleaning off the burned and dead skin over 80% of his body, which has sustained third-degree burns, brought on wishing for death rather than life. The numerous surgeries that followed addressed facial features which had been removed, along with the reconstruction of arms, hands, feet, and even internal organs. Burns do not heal like other injuries to the body. To describe the process would be to liken it to a dance, two steps forward, one step back. A successful skin graft followed by pneumonia, hand joints unable to bend, gone stiff since nightfall, breathing treatments, exhaustion, followed by the inability to fall asleep, only to be awakened by haunting nightmares. And that is the result of only one graft with many, many to follow. We heal, heal, then regress, expressed one burn victim of 9-11. Although her clear face appears almost unscathed, she still wears pressure garments covering her right arm and chest. Until you grasp that back and forth is going to happen, until you understand that's the dance, it is hard to accept, she says gregariously. She has been released from physical therapy several times only to return due to regression. You don't like it when you go backward, but at least you understand the process, she says. This too shall pass can be adopted as our clarion call when finding ourselves in the midst of trial. It can be a loud, boisterous, almost challenging call, like the one my wife and I uttered that night on our knees when we had chosen to fight alongside our daughter. Or our call might be a, a show of determination mixed with exhaustion, as I felt a year into the two-year battle of trying to find work. It will be a reminder, non nonetheless, that even if we see our lives altered forever due to this trial, we can find happiness and joy with the proper attitude while adjusting to the many limitations and difficulties that have been forced upon us. 
I think of the many accounts found in ancient scriptures which provide substance for my core belief that trial can assist in making us better in the long run. I also hold firm to my belief in ancient scripture, which has been made available to us in these latter days, compiled as a second witness of Jesus Christ in the form of a book known as the Book of Mormon, named for one of the prophets who wrote and abridged much of the work from gold and brass plates. This ancient scripture translated by the power of God also contains many accounts to support the basic truths discussed in this book. May I take the liberty to introduce you to the prophet Mosiah writing about his father, King Benjamin? King Benjamin was a righteous king who ruled the land of Zarahemla in approximately 130 BC. As in the accounts written in the Old Testament, God often called men who were both poor and wealthy alike to be his mouthpieces on earth, their worthiness not conditional on wealth or lack thereof, but upon their faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. Through these mouthpieces, the prophets, God revealed many truths to be taught to his children, knowing that his days on earth were coming to a close the prophet King Benjamin asked his son Mosiah to gather the people of Zarahemla at the temple so he could teach them before he died the way God would have them live. Now, my brothers and sisters, I hate to end it right here, part one, but you're going to want to know what this amazing man King Benjamin taught his people. And I hope that you'll join me for part two as King Benjamin explains the purpose of life. And I think you will, it will be worth your time. Again, that has been wonderful having you on this journey. I so hope you're getting something out of it. Thank you for your time. Um, this is for me such a self-fulfillment in responding to the Lord's direction to learn this and put my voice out there that it may be heard as evidence that he lives. And that again is my testimony. He does live. Until next time, have a blessed day. My friends, thank you so much for spending your time with me today in discussing the sweetness of trial. Please join me in future episodes as we learn how to not only endure trial, but to win from it as we continue our journey through my book, The Sweetness of Trial. <music>